Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. So we can only survive for three days without water. For our bodies to function properly, or as I like to say, for them to have shalom, peace in our bodies, we actually need the right balance of water. So in order for your muscles, your kidneys, and your heart to work correctly, you have to be hydrated. So our bodies have this very natural thirst. We constantly thirst to have the right amount of water. And many of us, we get so busy that we neglect or even forget to drink water. And so the Bible uses our need for water as a great metaphor for our need for God. And so when we thirst in this world for contentment, for meaning, for purpose, for joy, we are thirsting for that which can only be satisfied by God. And yet instead of drinking from the well of the gospel, we drink from every other place and our thirst is never quenched. We try to satisfy that thirst with success, with comfort, with earthly pleasures, with power, with wealth, and guess what? It never satisfies. It may solve the quench for a moment, but it's never lasting. And so the lie of this world is that those things will satisfy your thirst. Again, they'll quench it for a moment, but then we are quickly thirsty once again. In the reading that you heard today, we are given this beautiful picture of God's renewed and restored earth. And in it, we see this, this river that is called uh, the water of life. It's a river that gives the water of life and it's going right down Main Street right through the middle of God's city. Its source is the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. The Father and the Son is the source of this river of life, this water of life. And guess what? That has always been the source. John chapter 7 in verse 37 tells us, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, Jesus says. He says in John 4, verses 13, as he's speaking to the woman at the well, he says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the water at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him 
will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So from this river of life stems the tree of life. The tree grows out of it. And it grows 12 kinds of fruit, always in season. At our house, most of you know we've got fruit trees, and I was kind of looking at the trees this week going, all right, when are we going to get some fruit here? See a bunch of orange blossoms, super green lemons. When are those going to harvest? And there's this waiting. There's this waiting for the fruit. But in God's city, the fruit is always ripe. There's no season without fruit. And there's this incredible variety. And so what we see is this return to Eden, to paradise. That's where the story began, this garden where every tree, beautiful to the eyes, and it could feed, right? The tree of life there, the source of life, God himself. And so at the end of the story, we're now seeing this return to Eden, this return to our longing for what we lost in Eden. The leaves of this tree of life, we're told, are for the healing of the nations. That means because of the tree of life, no more war, no more oppression, no more frustration and relationship between people groups. Just peace. Just healing. Everyone seeing the face of Jesus sealed with his realized promises and all beautifully worshiping him. And the angel declares, this is true. Jesus is coming soon to bring all of this to fruition. How good does that sound? Does your heart long for that? What if there came a day when you were never thirsty again? Never thirsty or hungry for joy and happiness. Never thirsty for the wrongs of this world to be righted because they are righted. Well, that day is described for us in this text, and we are invited into it. The language of invitation is throughout this last chapter of the Bible. But before we dig in to the invitation, let's just recap this book that we've been going through, the book of Revelation. As we've talked about for many, many weeks now, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is revealing Him. It is revealing Him in history, and it is revealing Him in the future to come, in the age to come. This is a book about Jesus. And it gives us this vivid look at our world, but from heaven's perspective. And so we see these incredible uh, imagery, right? These signs, these metaphors that describe from heaven's view our perspective now. This book is a journey to God. It covers the time 
from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. And so it tells us that that time is a period of trial, of tribulation, throughout that entire church age. And it shows us God's judgment upon the earth for all the wrong that it has been done. Remember when this was written, it was written in the first century when God's people are horribly being killed, tortured, persecuted, everything taken from them. And this book shows us that God will not stand idle, that he will bring justice to the wrongs of the earth. And that is a great comfort for us. And as it tells this unfolding story, as we've talked about it, it does it from these multiple camera angles, showing us the same events, but from different perspectives along the way. And this book shows us where we are going. It shows us the final destination on our journey. It shows us heaven, but heaven coming down, heaven coming down to us. And this is to give hope to every generation. From the first generation in that first century all the way to the last generation. The hope is that the oppressive powers of this world will be defeated. That God's people will be vindicated. And this should then change the way that we experience the world now, having that hope. And so this last book then gives us this invitation into this beautiful picture, this truth that is coming, that is on the way. Jesus says that he is coming, that he is returning. Verse 7 of chapter 2, of uh, chapter 22. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So he says, make no mistake, I am returning to you. He says that you are on a journey to me. But in that journey, I am coming to you. And he tells us that we will find blessedness, that we will find joy, happiness, by keeping the words of this book. And by keeping it, I don't mean keeping it in the book and by your nightstand. I mean keeping it in your heart. That blessedness comes from believing that it is true, holding on to it in the depth of your heart. We get this invitation from the spirit and the bride saying, come, you are invited. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is the Spirit of God inviting, come, come and join this. Come and be a part of this. It will be rest for your soul. It will be satisfaction, joy, blessed happiness for your soul. Just come, be a part of it. And the bride, who's the bride? The church, right? God's people. And so the invitation is coming from the Spirit of God, and it is coming from his people, the bride, the bride of Christ, his church. 
And so it is, it is those that usher in the invitation, the Spirit of God, by God's people proclaiming it, both at work together. And what they're doing is they are inviting the promises of Jesus, right? So they are proclaiming in their lives daily, come Lord Jesus, bring this to bear. These promises are beautiful. We believe them, come bring them to be true. Bring them, bring them to realization. And to do that, there is a level at which we must be dissatisfied with this world. I've been reading through uh, a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And it's, it's a book on the Psalms of Ascent. There's 15 of them. And the first Psalm, Psalm 120, starts out with discontent, right? And so this is the playlist for Israel as they are making the journey each year to Jerusalem through, throughout the entire country. They travel, they come up the mountain, and as they're going to the city of God, they are singing. And the first song that they sing is one of dissatisfaction. And it is a song that we too must sing. We must have a dissatisfaction of this world that leads us to believe that only Jesus can fix it. So if your dissatisfaction of the world is one that thinks, oh, if we get the right guy in office, all will be good. If I just have enough money in my bank account, all will be good. If I can just have the right policies in place, the right people in place, I will be satisfied. If that is your heart, you are not dissatisfied enough with this world. There must be a dissatisfaction that leads you to only Jesus can fix that. And when we get there, that is the place where true joy and freedom come in because we can be part of that work, knowing that it's Him that is to bring it, knowing that it is this promise that He is bringing about. And so just like the people of God in the Old Testament, in Israel, on this journey each year to the temple, we are on the same journey. We are on a journey to God in Christ. One where we are dissatisfied to the level of knowing that only Jesus can fix this world. And then we're free to join him in that work. And so our journey is not any place in this earth. This journey is to God. It is to the heavenly Jerusalem, and we must not forget that. All right, so the invitation is Come, Lord Jesus, right? Bring about these promises. But the other aspect of the invitation is that it is one to join us. Come. It's an invitation to the world. It's sharing this message of good news. Verse 10 of chapter 22 says, He said to me, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy, of this book, for the time is near. 
right? And so don't, don't leave this untold. Don't read it and seal it up and go, okay. You see, when uh, in the book of Daniel, he was given a vision. He was told to close the prophecy. Don't share it because Jesus hasn't been revealed yet. But now on the other side, we're being told, don't close it up. Keep it open. Share it. Invite those around you to join in. Verse 17 says, let the one who hears say, come. All right, so this is not just hearing the sound, but hearing with the heart. And so the one who, that hears this message and believes, then their response is to join the chorus of come, come Lord Jesus, bring this to be, and come join us on this journey to God. And so what we see here is that the converted are offering the invitation. I think that the best evangelists are often the newest recipients of grace. When we taste the grace of God anew, it tastes so good, and you have to share it. The end of verse 17 says this, Let the one who desires the water of life without price, let them come and drink. Right? And so this invitation is for all those in this world who are thirsty. Who are thirsty and hungry in the depths of their souls. The invitation is come and drink. Drink of the water of life. And yet also we have in this last chapter a warning. Let me read verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Okay, so there's a distinction here. There's two groups. There's the one who are washing their robes. And we've seen this earlier in the book. What are they washing their robes in? They are washing their robes. This is a, a, a sign, a symbol. They're washing their robes in the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? That means that they are trusting Jesus' life for their very own. Outside the city of God, we are told, are all of those who want to come to God on their own terms, on their own deeds. For those who say, I'll take my chances, I'll go before God and say, all right, here I am. What do you see? Make your decision. We're warned that if you take that approach with God, you will not taste the water of life, that you will be outside the city. And so this invitation is one Come to the city of God. You will be satisfied there. I, I've been reading a little bit and, uh, and hearing a little bit about uh, this new brand of what is called Satanism. And so this new brand of Satanism says, 
oh, no, 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 we're not worshiping the devil. It's more humanism, right? We're, we're uh, worshiping the fact that we can achieve, that we can, uh, that we can solve the problems of this world, that we can reach a greatness. So it's not devil worship, it's, it's this humanist uh, searching, right? But guess what? That is what devil worship ultimately is. If we remember the beast of Revelation, the beast does everything to distract God's people, to distract the world away from God. It's a distraction to the philosophies of the world. Oh, you want satisfaction and joy and happiness? It's not with God. It's over here. Come and taste over here. That's where you'll find it. And that is the work of the devil. He is trying to distract you. So guess what? The new Satanism is the old Satanism. It's one in the same. And so verse 11 tells us this. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Now this is an odd sounding verse, right? Is this an encouragement? Go and do uh, evil? Are we being told to participate in this? No. This is not an encouragement toward evil. This is a word of allow. Allow each individual person to make their choice. There is a choice in this world. There is an invitation extended, and there is a choice. What will you choose? Are you on the journey toward God, or you are you on the journey away from God? The journey toward God is trusting the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for your entrance to the city of God. But if you trust in your own life, your own performance, that is a journey moving away from God. And it can look a couple different ways. We can journey away from God by saying, I'm going to live however I want. No one's going to give me rules. I am the ruler of my life. I am the God of my life. That's one way that we can avoid God is by legalism, by a bunch of rules. But really, it's just leading people away from God. It's trusting in our own performance. The second way uh, is... Uh, I'm conflating the two. Let me, let me restate that. All right, so uh, there's a license, right, of, of doing whatever we, we want to do. And so saying, I'm going to be the master of my faith. That is one way. The other way is one of legalism. It's one of saying, I'm going to follow the rules and come by my terms, by my performance. And again, either one of those is a journey away from God. And we're told that if you are on that journey, it's one that leads away from the city, away from the river of life, away from the tree of life, away from the healing of the world. And so this book, this amazing book, closes with this, uh, this call, really, that it is a call to hold fast to God's word. It is a call to hold fast to his promises. 
Verse 6 again tells us these words are trustworthy and true. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 7. And then the book ends with this, the final words of the entire Bible. What does God want to leave us with? He wants to leave us with this. Verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Because, church family, it is this. It is the grace of God that sustains us. It is the grace of God that allows us to love our enemies. It is the grace of God that allows us not to war against them, but to go to war for them, to invite them. It is the grace of God that perseveres us in faith to the end. It is the grace of God that keeps us walking toward the city of God. It is the grace of God that gives us hope no matter what our circumstances. When we believe in what Jesus has promised for the future, we can trust him with our present. This book tells us Jesus wins. The grace of God wins. And so no matter how bad this world gets, Jesus is bringing down heaven, the city of God, with the river of life flowing from his throne all throughout the city, with the tree of life on every side of this river. It's a garden in the midst of the city. It's what God intended from the very first book of the Bible. And nothing can stop it. We will see him face to face. He will be our God. And we will be his people forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that comes with this book of knowing that Jesus wins. We thank you for the constant invitation to say, come Lord Jesus, come, bring these promises to bear and to invite the world around us to say, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Be satisfied, drink from the well. And so Lord, we give you thanks that we don't have to wait to drink that water, that we can have it now through faith in you. And so Lord, also let us hear this warning that there is a path towards you and there is a path away from you. And so Lord, I plead with anyone who considers coming to you on their own merits that they will not stand, that the only place where we can stand is by coming washed in the blood of Jesus, his life for ours, his perfection for our imperfection. Help us to believe this to be true. Help us to live it out as your people, a people of hope and love and faith. We ask it in the mighty name, the precious name of Jesus, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.